Totally Football Show. Today, move over General Custer and whoever got Theresa May that tribal dancing photo op as Jose takes his place in the pantheon of tactical triumphs, battering Spurs, nil goals to three. We survey the post-game damage and look forward to the weekend as United visit Burnley and so much more. They shout out to their own goals, much love for the deuce, and we try and squeeze on board the hipster bandwagon that is Scottish football. All that plus the biggest possession controversies since Linda Blair and the Crucifix in the Totally Football Show. Jose Mourinho there after his tactical victory Monday night at Old Trafford. Thanks to Brian Austin, Kenny, for that. Yes, what a dramatic start to the week in football land with Spurs going up to Old Trafford and, and winning 3-0 over Man United. We've got an awful lot to talk about today with that, with midweek Carabao Cup, with loads of other things like the weekend. We've got Tom Williams in, author of Do You Speak Football? Hello, James. James Horncastle. That is I. Good to have you back. Good to be back. Right. James has uh, also been appearing on the Golazzo show this week. Uh-huh. What a terrific show that was with the excellent Richard Hughes. Yeah. In which we discovered that he'd had Cristiano Ronaldo sent off for headbutting him. Yeah. Mm. Didn't sound very nice. No. We've also had Atalanta tweeters in the meantime. Have we? What yeah. did they say? Uh, because I think they were they were pleased that someone acknowledged their initiative whereby they send every newborn baby in Bergamo a, uh, an Atalanta shirt. To oh, get well them early. Yeah. Right. Cool. Did they send any gear? <laughs> Not so far. Right. I'm still awaiting my own kind of uh, baby kit, which you know oh, I would obviously wear on this podcast. <laughs> Just take a second with that mental image, everybody. <laughs> All right. I tell you what does sound nice: Duncan Alexander, Chief Data Officer at Opta. Am I? Are you not? What's your title there? I've got lots of different titles. Come on, then. Uh, I think currently I'm VP, which is quite American, wow. but VP of Data Editorial Analytics and Innovation. Bang. So you're the front line of uh, breaking new stat ground. That's right, yeah. XG Vanguard. was your baby. Not my baby, but I was one of the midwives that okay. you know, made sure it came into the world. What's coming formed. down the kind of uh, statistical fallopian tube? Um, I think the things that allow us to understand, go beyond possession, shall we say, so things like right. sequences. It's so. funny you might mention that because mm. possession was a big and controversial topic in Monday's show. We'll come on to that later on. I know you're itching to talk about it and you, listener, to hear about it. But we've got so much to unpack, first of all, from Monday's clash at Old Trafford. Spurs doing that 3-0 win. Another fine away performance, first of all, for Tottenham who began to put these together away at Chelsea, away at Liverpool last season. No, this yeah, was good. No, absolutely. They've historically had struggles at various grounds like Stamford Bridge and Old Trafford. Um, and to put that into context, 13% of the goals they've ever scored at Old Trafford came in two minutes and 13 seconds on Monday. You're kidding. 13% of all the goals they've ever scored at Old in Trafford. In the Premier League. In the Premier League. Which is which a long still, time. Yeah. yeah. Um, came in two minutes and 13 seconds, which kind of shows how the fortunes of Manchester United and Tottenham have switched around recently. Yeah. Well, Harry Kane, who opened the scoring, called this win a big statement. A big statement saying what, Tom Williams? <laughs> saying that Spurs are now capable of beating their big rivals, which is not something that they've been particularly good at in the last few seasons. I think in... Their last 13 games against their fellow big six teams, they've only won two. 
So, and I think that's that's been seen as an area where Spurs need to make progress if they're going to become serious contenders. Because this... we know what they can do against the weaker teams. Right. Are you now moving them into the serious contenders bracket? Yeah. I mean, they, yeah. they've 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 been there for the last couple of seasons, haven't they? But I think this is this is a this is a sign of of progress. And it it, it reminded me of the sort of performance we used to see from United. Um, in that they wouldn't play particularly well, that they'd be mm. under the cosh a bit, which Spurs were in the first half, but then the quality they have would take them beyond their opponents very quickly. Right. And that's what we saw from Spurs. And it was quite unspursy in that respect, but perhaps new Spursy. Right, quality. It's like Pochettino went in at half time to his dressing room and said, lads, it's Man United. <laughs> what delicious irony, if that were the case. Well, a terrific performance by Spurs and, of course, Lucas Moura who uh, went waltzing through Man United for the the third goal. Of course, almost more of the drama happened after the final whistle with that fairly remarkable post-game press conference in which Jose Mourinho uh, vaunted his tactical and strategic triumph in this game. Uh, Tactical superiority comes in all shapes and sizes, of course, Duncan. In United's case, it involves him having a worse goal difference than Cardiff, who Mm. haven't scored since April. That is true. Confusing, but true. Um, to defend Marino slightly, I mean, you know, United did play pretty well in the first half. Um, their XG in the first half was 0.76 compared to Spurs 0.13. So yeah, he won the first half. If you want to see it like say, that, their XG was 0.76 and Spurs was 0.13. So Spurs didn't really threaten. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. Um, second half was a different story. Well, this is, I guess, this is the ideal application for an XG man like yourself. Mm. You. Were people to take their chances, United would have won this game. Is that what you're saying? Um, they edge. I mean, it would have probably been a draw. I think. So really? the final, the final totals were one point five for United and one point three for Spurs, which is you know close enough to to being a low scoring draw. Really, Spurs were just really clinical in the second half. Um, but I thought it was interesting the way Mourinho basically came out after the game and said he actually said premierships. He said I won three premierships, mm. which is quite telling because obviously it hasn't been called the premiership for nearly 10 years. Really? And two of the three he did win were premierships, right. which kind of shows how long ago it was and, you know, yesterday's man and all that. Right. Well, yes, yeah, certainly his whole approach in the press conference didn't seem very tactically uh, wise. For a man who used to basically have the press eating out of his hand, they were almost openly mocking him in, in this one, Tom. Yeah, I th- I mean, there's been a big shift in terms of uh, attitudes towards Mourinho, both from the media and I think just from the general public. Because when he first arrived uh, in England, we were all so charmed by him. You know, this debonair, very, very handsome, smooth-talking guy. And, and when he came up with these, you know, these curious sound bites, it felt like everything was part of a carefully constructed Machiavellian plan. And I think what we've learnt about Mourinho over the years that have followed is that often... He says things without really thinking about them too much. I mean, clearly that three premierships line is something he's been sitting on for a while and waiting for Arsene Wenger to disappear so he can actually use it. Right. But actually, Arsene what, Wenger, who won three... But who was a specialist in failure, of course. Um, this way of operating Reno has, we're also familiar with it now. And, you know, we're not quite... Uh, where things were in that disastrous second season at Chelsea last time around. But there's definitely a sense that things are unravelling. And as then, he's doing what he does when faced with this sort of situation, just lashing out quite blindly. And it doesn't make particularly great... I mean, it makes fantastic viewing. Uh, But if you're a United fan or a United director or a United player... Probably not so much. Right. Well, there's a, a lot of talk that this, these are now the end, end days. Paul says, can you start doing a totally Mourinho show? Please, <laughs> all Mourinho, no filler. We can't really, Paul. Um, but we, we, we'll, we'll just get one more thing then, then, James. Is this kind of... Is buzz cut on the horizon? Are we... 
In much as Van Hal lived with Mourinho's shadow, is, is he now basically living with, I don't know, Pochettino or Zidane's shadow daily? I think it's it's curious. It always smacks of desperation when someone ends up pointing to past achievement rather than future problem solving. Um, he didn't seem to have any ideas as to how uh, United co- could come out of this. Tried a few different things in that game, playing Ander Herrera as a, as a right back, which I, th- I think uh, took a lot of uh, people by surprise. But again, it, with Mourinho, I think what's... For someone who seemed to have all the answers, um, uh, particularly at the beginning of his career, um, and you know, going through those those initial spells in England, Italy, and and Spain, to now to to seem to have no answers whatsoever, and just re- resort to this kind of um, histrionics of communication um, and showmanship, um, like at the end of the game, going over to the fans and and making a real uh, point of look at me, I'm I'm going to applaud these. Decanio esque. Yeah. Some people felt. Yeah, and I think that's all he's got at the moment. You right. know, he is the Wizard of Oz behind the you know behind the curtain. You know. Right. Nice. I'm just going to say, has anyone actually seen that film? Well, you've seen, seen that. You've seen it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> just want to check out Michael Cox probably controversy. Double yeah. bill with the Matrix. It was good that day. Yeah. This weekend, Man United go from Lucas Moura to Turf Moura <laughs> as they <laughs> travel to Burnley. Burnley, who've uh, had a rotten start to the season, yet to win a game uh, this campaign. They've conceded seven goals so far. They've got Europa League uh, coming up again this Thursday evening at home to Olympiacos. Chances of, of Burnley inflicting a third straight defeat? I think it's going to be tough given what we've seen from them this season. If it was the Burnley of, of last year, um, without these European commitments and some of the injuries that they've got, then I think they would be a real banana skin um, for, for United and, and would send them into deeper crisis. But given that they've conceded, what, seven goals uh, in their is it last two games? Um, that kind of um, defensive solidity and, and resilience on which they kind of uh, build their game doesn't seem to be there at the moment. And, I mean, uh, this game seems a bit like the battle of the teams who probably both finished a bit higher last season than they probably should have based on catchy. underlying... yeah. Get an acronym for that. Um, I mean, Burnley, the like a lot of teams that qualify for the Europa League, that's a big achievement, and they seem to be a bit grumpy that they actually then have to go and play Europa League matches. They've actually not made a change to their starting eleven yet this season, which seems strange given the number of games, whereas Man United have made the most. Anyway, Spurs, meanwhile, joined Liverpool, Chelsea and Watford on maximum points. How many times has the English top flight season ever seen four teams start with three wins from three, Duncan? Three. Three times. This is only the third time. I looked this up on Monday, expecting it to be fairly common, and it's really not. 1903-04. Yeah. uh, When it was Sunderland-Sheffield Wednesday, Man City and Sheffield United. And once in 1932-33, Villa Derby, West Brom and Portsmouth. Yeah. So it is very rare to see four teams start with with maximum points. Clearly. Um, I think Chelsea, Tottenham, Liverpool, perhaps unsurprising, but Watford are the left-field option there. Well, indeed. Two of that quartet are facing each other. Top of the table clash, Claxon. We'll be dealing with that after this. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Big game coming up for Spurs this weekend as South Korea take on Japan in the Asian Cup final. Victory for South Korea in that game, etc. and so on. Sun can get to come home again, basically. The other, of course, massive fixture for Tottenham Hotspur is Sunday at four o'clock as they visit Vicarage Road. <laughs> Vicarage Road. 
and Watford, pal. Hey, Watford haven't won a game against Spurs since 1994. But they haven't started the season with three straight wins since before that. So w- what are the chances? Do you fancy them, Tom? Uh, it'll Who be actually int- wants to answer this question? I can probably. answer this, yeah. 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 Okay. I mean, it'll be an interesting test for Watford because obviously they have been impressive so far. Um, they've overperformed, I think, compared to, well, in terms of the table. You look at the teams they've beaten, 2-0 at home to Brighton, 3-1 at Burnley. Burnley, we know, who have, have got a few issues with with Europa League qualifiers. Um, and then 2-1 last time out at home to Palace, which was probably the most eye-catching result of the three. Their next four Watford are Spurs at home, Man United at home, Fulham away and then Arsenal away, so I think we'll probably get a better idea of where they really are once they've come through that. But yeah, they've been they've been fun to watch Watford so far. Um, Roberto Pereira uh, is sort of stepping into the void left by Richarlison and mm. has, has been really impressive so far. And um, yeah, I think they're... that uh, after what in a few weeks' time we, we won't really it see won't or hear anything more, more of Pereira. Yeah, yeah. Right. quite possibly. The, the big story some say though about the Hornets is their defensive solidity. Ooh. Duncan. Yeah, I mean, just talking about XG again, they, along with Liverpool, obviously Liverpool's defence has got a lot of praise right. so far. Uh-huh. Um, and they're the only other team other than Liverpool to have a XG conceded of under two. So, I mean, it's, oh. which is really good in, in three games. And, yeah, I think points to the fact that this could be a more sustainable run from Watford than it looks like. Uh, here's a question, quickly then, from Johnny, who says, This weekend, we, Watford fielded the same 11, and more interestingly, named the same bench as the previous week in the Premier League. That got me thinking, what is the longest a team has gone without changing a player in the starting 11? Uh, just in league games. Could one of you stop off at your Mind Palace and dig out an answer for today's show, please? Everyone looks at you, Duncan. Mm, I went into the Mind Palace, definitely. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it turns out that the longest run of consecutive starting 11s is Birmingham City back in 2010 when they named the same team for 12 Premier League games in a row, which is a lot. Especially when that it is con- a lot. It includes Roger Johnson in that team. So, <laughs> but that was <laughs> but in his glory Hull. period. Do you remember Hull like a couple of seasons ago when they only had seven players and were forced to keep fielding them? Yeah, they didn't make a substitution to the third game, I think, uh. in the season. But um, they're not quite. Oh, they're Burnley are next. Um, Twenty fifteen, they did ten in a row. Okay, so. interesting. Interesting. Um, which of these two teams, if either, is going to be on maximum points come Sunday evening? Watford. Really? It's a big Watford well, upset. I mean, just to build on what Tom was saying about uh, Roberto Padilla, if you look at what happened uh, United in that first half, they, they, they were quite good at getting at um, Spurs, particularly down the, the right-hand side um, um, of Spurs' defence. Um, I thought uh, Shaw Lingard uh, did quite well there. And, you know, the Spurs do look quite narrow at the moment. Um, you know, aside from Lucas Moura, they don't have any kind of natural width aside from that provided by their by their fullbacks, which I think would leave Trippier maybe a, you know, needing a little bit of a hand against the in-form Pereira. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think Watford have got a decent chance. OK. Among other teams on maximum points are Liverpool, who travel to the King Power this Saturday. Early kickoff for them, taking on a Leicester side where... Claude Puel has had two wins in a row. So that's good after that, you know, uncertainty over his prospects. They won midweek against Fleetwood. Jamie Vardy will be out with suspension. Did you see um, Christian Fuchs? Oh, Balter. Mm. Yeah, he's Rashid keen Gazal for everyone to see it. Rashid Gazal scored a nice goal as well. Who did, sorry? Rashid Gazal. Oh, I, I didn't see that one. Mm. How was that one? Sort of cuts him from the right. I think he plays a 1-2 and then mm-hmm. curls one left-footed top left corner from about 20 yards out. Very nice. A game you'd expect them to win. Yeah. To be fair. Yeah. I mean they, they change the team up as, you know, the Premier League teams will want to do, but mm. nice to get a big big bouncy win under your belt all the same. 
Duncan? I think the absence of Vardy is going to be quite big. He's got a particularly good record against the big six in the Premier League. Mm. Um, he's one of those players that, you know, not is definitely not a flat-track bully. Definitely turns up against the big teams. So the fact he's out um, and Liverpool's defence just looks impregnable, really. Um, Alisson is currently on for one of my favourite Premier League records, oh. which is most games without conceding from the start of your Premier League career. That's one of your favourite stats. Yeah, because, and because it's held by the oft-forgotten Alex Manninger. Yes. Who played six games without conceding at the start of his Premier League career. Alex Manninger of Arsenal and Siena. And Liverpool, yeah, for a yeah. season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, lovely chat, by the way, Alex Manninger. Uh-huh. No, I never had any speaker. dealings with him. Um, great. That Harry Maguire, though, with those those thunder strikes. Mm. It's, you know, it's slabhead not going to cause some, some major problems for this this Liverpool defence in the Alisson back line. I think if we can see Alisson chip the ball over Harry Maguire, we know that he's basically <laughs> the best player in the history of football. So yeah. We did see Brighton cause Liverpool one or two scares mm. from set pieces. Yeah, if you've got Maguire and Johnny, you know, maybe Johnny Evans up there, you know, could be some fruit without, I mean, if that's the way you're going to be looking for goals without Jamie Vardy. It's the it? Premier League. Chester. Anything can happen. Anything yeah. literally can happen. Yeah. Uh, certainly, you, you could see any number of results at uh, the clash a little bit later that afternoon at Stamford Bridge, where Chelsea are taking on Bournemouth. Over the last three seasons, no team has beaten Chelsea at Stamford Bridge more often than any has Bournemouth. Isn't that remarkable? Yeah, two, two wins in the last three visits, including a 3-0 win in January, which yeah. I'd completely forgotten about. And then mm. looked it up and, and there it was. Yeah. Uh, and Bournemouth, Bournemouth doing well. Um, won their first two games and then came from 2-0 down uh, to draw 2-2 against Everton last time out. So a bit of a free hit for them, I think, this. Um, and I think given the, the record they've got, you know they'll 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 go into the game with confidence. I mean, you'd expect Chelsea to dominate possession as they've done in in, in all their games to date, as we saw they do saw them do against Newcastle. But um, yeah, it might be an interesting one. All right, uh, Bournemouth, another of these teams that likes going with an unchanged lineup uh, under Eddie Howe. On the subject of their brilliant start, uh, we had Richard Hughes in on on Golazzo this week, and afterwards I asked him about that, and it, it turns out it's perhaps not as impressive as it sounds. The corresponding fixtures from last season, which interesting who you replaced Cardiff with, but obviously one of the teams that got relegated. Um, we uh, actually accumulated seven points mm-hmm. from these uh, the same fixtures we've had, uh, and uh, worryingly with Chelsea upcoming at the weekend, and I'll oh, say worryingly we won there on the end of January three nil. Um, so we'll, we'll have to go some to, to repeat last year's total from these particular four games. Well, this is a really interesting clash up against Maurizio Sarri, who Eddie Howe has spent a lot of time scouting. Well, yeah, we um, we went to see um, uh, Maurizio when he was uh, at Empoli and spent a couple of days there uh, watching his training. And um, it was obvious from the first time they met, there was a really uh, good bond, a, a lot of similar ideas on football uh, between the two. It was something, a relationship that, that grew even last season. We had a pre-season friendly against Napoli. Um, and uh, one of the most entertaining games I saw live last season was Bournemouth 2, Napoli 2 in pre-season. Mm played uh, by two managers who want to play football on the, uh, on the front foot and try and dominate uh, possession of the uh, of the ball as well. Not always possible, of course, and it made for a really good end-to-end game. Richard Hughes was in very interesting form as usual, uh, and you can hear more indeed from him, former Atalanta player, now head of recruitment for Bournemouth in Golazzo. 
Listeners, here's another podcast you want to check out from us here at Muddy Knees Media. The Bradley Wiggins Show is back with you throughout the 2018 Love Welter. Geraint just has been concentrating on what he's been trying to do, you know, win the Tour de France. The last month he was occupied with that. And all of a sudden he comes back from the Tour de France and everyone wants to know what he thinks about certain topics. And it's one of them things, if you haven't got a strong opinion on it either way, he's the Tour de France winner now and everyone wants to know his view on certain things like he's some sort of messiah. Join Brad and a host of guests as they discuss the final Grand Tour of the season and all the latest news from the world of cycling. That's the Bradley Wiggins Show from Eurosport, available every Monday on Audio Boom, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Hello, Danny Reeves, who's fully expecting Duncan to spend the majority of today's show nailing this possession discussion. We'll get to that very shortly, Danny. Uh, may I just say that if you've been enjoying the sumptuous tones of James Horncastle today, you'll be pleased to know that he's going to be in both of our upcoming live shows. Apparently, yeah. I thought it was just like a three-man show with you and two others, but I've been drafted in. What? Are you saying you're now a co-host? Ben, is that what's happening here? Is this how it begins? <laughs> Am I off to my holiday dasher, <laughs> waved off by Horncastle at the station? <laughs> It's one of those black Volgas waiting to uh, take you off. Damn. Uh, Well, these two shows, which are going to be bristling with tension, clearly, Monday the 24th of September will be at uh, the Queen Elizabeth Hall on London's South Bank, along with Michael Cox and yourself, Duncan. Yes, indeed. Team team Jimbo. Well, we'll see. Tickets, southbankcentre.co.uk. And then a week or so later, Totally Football will be totally live at the Royal Northern College of Music on Friday the 5th of October. Uh, Rory Smith and Daniel Storey will be there. And, I don't know, it might just be one of us by that point, James, depending on what happens at South Bank. Ctickets.com, that's S-E-E, for your ticketing needs. Tom, I want to hear about French football. Tell me, PSG are off to a great start. And they play Nîmes. They play Nîmes this weekend. Arcadio Iniesta, that's a great name, says, can we have a mention of Nîmes? Tick. Uh, they've had a great start to the season. First time they've been in league uh, for 26 years. And they won their opening two against Marseille and Angers. Wow. Uh, oh, then they lost last week to Toulouse. But still, hosting PSG, how about that? Yes, great story. Um, promoted from Ligue 2 alongside Reims last season. Two very attacking teams. Um, and Nîmes have managed to hold on to the players who, who brought them up. Um, uh, among whom features Umut Bozok, their uh, centre forward who scored 24 goals last season. Um, and they've been really entertaining so far. Um, a really sort of slapdash opening win over Angers, 4-3. Uh, and then they did a, did a job against, against Marseille uh, in their second game um, and then lost, lost at, at Toulouse last time out. So, right. yeah, decent, decent return to the elite for Les Crocodiles. Um, mm. You Will suspect. it be never mind the buzzock for PSG then this, well, this weekend? It, might it just? I mean, PSG already looking in, in ominously decent form. Um, they've scored three goals in each of their games so far. Mm. Um, and uh, last time out against Angers, we had Mbappe, Neymar and Cavani starting together for the first time since the World Cup. And they each scored um, lots of nice interplay, particularly bet- between Neymar and, and Mbappe. And we, we got an indication of, uh, of what Thomas Tuchel is going to try and do with PSG this season. He set them out with a back three and wing backs and Neymar in a number 10 role behind Mbappe and Cavani. It didn't really work. 
So he changed tack at half time and switched to a four two three one. They looked a bit better, but a sign of, of how he wants to evolve PSG's style. Right. Champions League draw coming up Thursday afternoon. It's going to be very interesting to see who's, whose pot they end up in or who ends up in their pot. Uh, rather, RM says, can you shed some light on uh, Strootman to Marseille? Weren't United after him a few years ago? Uh, yes. This was... Um, this was an interesting move, not least for the way Marseille announced it, James. <laughs> yeah, this was quite good. I liked it. It was uh, like a fortnight. Uh, it was, uh, intro, basically. Intro. Yeah. yeah we, it was really neatly done. Yeah, Strootman parachuting into uh, Marseille's training ground. Are you on Fortnite, James? What's your handle? I'm not, your, I'm afraid. Yeah, I, I, I have little time uh, right. to, to, to do this. I, I think if I did start this, I wouldn't be able to stop. And yeah, it would probably be a, a breaking point. I in, did in start my Fortnite, but did get stopped very, very rapidly by all the other people who just won't. Oh, really? Yeah, I, it's, it's a generational thing, I think. Mm. Yeah. You, have you played, Duncan? I haven't, no. I've seen it. Tom? No. No, it's brutal. Right. A lot of people, actually, by the way, out there will be going, you know, the way you felt about them not watching The Matrix, Matrix. we feel about you <laughs> not playing Fortnite, but, uh, yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, Kevin Strootman. Yes, Marseille. Um, it was a bit of a surprise because yeah. the, the transfer window is closed in, in Italy, so it's not like Roma could go and get anyone else, although they have signed quite a few midfield players this uh, this summer. Um, Steven Inzonzi came on more or less deadline day. They've got Cristante, mm. who they paid £30 million for, and Tekoric, who's a kid who they've got uh, high hopes for. Um, but Strootman is a very popular popular guy with uh they called him the, the washing machine no? yeah because you uh rudy garcia gave this is quite common in france no to call call a player a washing machine you give him a bad pass and he cleans it up and, all right and uh and should have gone to ross way. then shouldn't he hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> but um hmm. yeah i mean there's this feeling that Strootman perhaps wasn't the player uh he was um after the terrible knee injuries that that he suffered uh, he had a couple of relapses he's still a very good player though um but maybe didn't have the same kind of mobility that Ma- he had before then right marseille are struggling a bit no they didn't manage to get balotelli who they were expecting to sign and not a good star for them yeah um their recruitment has been quite odd marseille in that they've been chasing a grand attaquant a big forward for the last two i think we all summers. got that one yeah, just in case anyway yeah. we speak football just, yeah thanks guys yeah. Thought they were going to get Balotelli, spent the whole summer speaking to him and his people, and then finally decides to stay at Nice. So they're going into a second successive season with uh, Costas Mitroglou and Valé Germain as their only centre-forwards, which is clearly an issue. But they've got this fantastic array of midfielders now. I mean, Strootman's come in. He's probably going to play alongside Luis Gustavo, mm. who was probably Marseille's standout player last season. You've Tovar. got Dimitri Payet, mm. you know. Oh, yeah. You've got Florian Tovar, you've got Lucas Ocampos, Morgan Sanson, Maxime Lopez... Um, so this really impressive collection of midfielders and literally, or almost literally, no strikers. Um, and they are at Monaco on Sunday night in the first big shock of the uh, the Ligue 1 season. Um, and they're coming off the back of a, a 2-2 draw at home to Rennes-Marseille. Um, came back from, from 2-0 down. So um, yeah, and Monaco not in, not in great form either. Right. So, be, so you call a big match in, in France un choc? Un choc means like a clash, basically. Okay. C-H-O-C. Right, interesting. Bordeaux won't be being managed by Thierry Henry in the foreseeable future. His people are saying it's because he didn't feel they were big enough for him. And they're saying that's because he asked for too much money. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I think I think timing is, is something that worked against both parties in this. In that Bordeaux are in the process of being sold to an American investment firm, General mm. American Capital Partners, oh. by M6, uh, the, the French TV channel who've owned Bordeaux for the last few years, and. 
Henri had certain expectations in terms of his salary, in terms of recruitment, and um, the decision makers at GACP weren't all that hot on him. I think I think it's one thing Henri sort of trying to sell himself to uh, French directors, but I think for the, the new people coming in, they're looking at a guy who's got zero um, charisma. Oh, sorry, <laughs> zero managerial experience, right, yeah. and so they, they were a little bit apprehensive. So yeah, Henri's Henri is 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 not going to be managing Bordeaux anytime soon, and they don't seem too pressed about um, appointing uh, a replacement for for Gus Poyer. Suggestion seems to be that it'll be. Um, after the international break when we, we see the new manager come in. Bordeaux's loss is in-game car-based advertising gain, I would mm. suggest. Uh, ooh, Friday evening on the continent. It's all about Milan-Roma, James, isn't it? That's going to yeah. be big. That's a, I mean, it should be really spectacular the way those teams are playing. Yeah, it's a great uh, antipasto for the for the weekend nice. ahead. Um, yeah, uh, Milan uh, played uh, well in spells against Napoli. Scored some beautiful goals, I think, more than more than anything. Um, and uh, and Roma, as we saw in again another fantastic game on Monday night against Atalanta, um, yeah, really went hell for leather in the in the second half to three to one back. down to get three three. Yeah. And uh, he was able to do Francesco breaking his hand on the on the dugout. Did he yeah. break it? Or he did. Break? No, he's had yeah. to have surgery on it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. anyway, that that should be fun. That's Friday, and then there's all sorts of other fun from City Out, which includes. Is it Parma Juventus or Juventus Parma? It's Parma Juventus. Parma Juventus back yeah. at the Tardini, mm. which is a, a match redolent with history. But you know, for more of that kind of chat, listen to our Golazzo all about Parma's history. You'll yeah. find that easily and enough. And Jovino yeah. may well be uh, taking the field against mm. Big Chris. So each side deploying their star signings. Interesting. Now, elsewhere we've discovered that uh, SPL, Scottish Premier League, is the new hipster league, Duncan. Is it? Which kind of means it no longer is, actually, if we're aware of that. That I think. is true, actually, yeah. Mm. But producer Ben is way ahead of us anyway, and he has already spoken to Andrew Slaven, who this week on the Totally Scottish Football Show, our sister podcast, has uh, been chatting up the uh, the first old firm derby of the season. I know that usually these things are very much uh, they've been very much one way traffic of late, haven't they? Since Brendan Rodgers went there, but perhaps not this time, as Andrew explains. Yeah, it's one of those where you can't really tell what's going to happen, which has probably been the case the past two years since Brendan Rodgers has been at Celtic. It's always been a kind of oh, Celtic should breeze past this. There's been a couple of occasions. Uh, when Rangers have, have pushed Celtic. I remember last season when it was Rangers went one up, then two up against Celtic near the end of the season. And then Edson Edouard, um, who Celtic have signed this summer, um, popped up with a last-minute winner for Celtic. It was, um, it was a great game to watch, but this is certainly a game that has all the components for a, a, a perfect Old Firm derby. Andrew, Brendan Rodgers has had things pretty much his own way since he rocked up in Glasgow, but uh, it really does seem like a, a changing a changing mood over there at Celtic. What's What's gone wrong? Yeah, he hasn't really had um, his way when it comes to the transfer market. There was the whole fiasco with Dedrick Boyata, who was rumoured to be going to Fulham um, after his World Cup performances for Belgium, uh, but that didn't quite pan out. Um, his agent through the toys out the pram um, and it's kind of unfortunately for Celtic kind of caused quite a stir for, for Brendan Rodgers and, and subsequently the fans have kind of booed Dedrick Boyata um, at the weekend but also um, today it looks like Moussa Dembele could be going to Lyon 
um, for a 15 million plus deal. Um, that's what's been reported. But that he's been one of the, you know, superstars of Celtic since Brendan Rodgers came in. He arrived from Fulham for um, just under 400,000, which at the time everyone was like, wow. Um, he had clubs like Chelsea, Arsenal looking at him. It was a massive coup at the time. But like all good things at Celtic, they do move on. And, and I think Dembele probably felt this was his time to leave. But it would be such a, a bad time for Brendan Rodgers to, for, to lose his star striker um, just before a, a Celtic Rangers match. Andrew, Rangers and Celtic and this narrative between Brendan Rodgers and Steven Gerrard, of course, gets all the headlines. But um, why else is Scottish football having a bit of a renaissance at the moment? Oh, well, it's just because you have so many really hilarious stories, but also fantastic games. Um, if, you, if you ever if you watched the, the Rangers Motherwell game um, last, last week, um, it was just a great game to watch and it was end to end. It seems like there's no defence really in Scotland, so you've always got a great attack and plenty of goals. Um, there's also some great characters. You've got Neil Lennon at Hibernian, you've got Derek McInnes at Aberdeen, and Hearts are going for it hammer and tong at the moment, top of the league. It's um, It's been such an exciting start um, to the Scottish Premiership season. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. Back to the football, Tom. Newcastle, did you see what happened to them on Wednesday night away at Forest? I did. Late drama. Second season running. That's true. Lost to Forest in the League Cup. So Issues with cash. Oh, did a player called Cash... Nicely done, nicely done. Forrester probably spent more money than Newcastle. They have, yeah. I can confirm go. that's true. Uh, two minutes uh, was all it took before Forrester had taken the lead and then no goals happened until after the 90th when Newcastle equalised. Hooray! Uh, but then Forrest took the lead again and then made it 3-1 all within time added on. Extraordinary. Poor old Newcastle, eh? At least their next fixture is... Oh, Oh, it's Man City, Newcastle. Oh dear, James. Do you know what's happened on their last three visits? They conceded something like 22 goals. Let's just add these up. Three, well, 14. Okay. And they've only scored one. It's not as bad as I thought then, so... Right, well, okay. Do you know how many of those 14 were scored by Aguero? Probably going to say something like all of them. Nine. Nine (laughs) of those goals. He got a hat-trick in the 3-0 win, five in the 6-1 win, and just one in the the 5-0 win. He's actually got 14 against Newcastle, which is the most by any player against a specific club for one club. Um, he's wow. actually scored as many goals against Newcastle in the Premier League as Rubinho scored goals in the Premier League. Which mm. one of those was the better signing for the City? Oh, is this a trick question? It's not a trick question. Okay. I think the answer is Aguero. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, well, uh, perhaps in those other games, he wasn't up against uh, Rafa Benitez's trademarked bold new formation, James. The 10 0. Yeah. yeah, it's very innovative. Um, yeah, pretty damn negative. But mm. yeah, what else are you going to do with with that that group of players against this kind of team? Have a go? No, I don't. I don't think they've got the same players as say Wolves have. I mean, mm. a lot of people are saying, "Oh, why doesn't everyone uh, do um, have the same approach as, as Nuno did last weekend?" But Wolves have just got better players, uh, and they can, they, can, they, they yeah, players who can kind of approach the game in that manner. Newcastle don't. It's no surprise that they've lost to. Lost to Forest because unfortunately they've still got a, a championship-looking squad. No, but in, fairness, in fairness to Newcastle, I mean they they almost got a result against Chelsea. You know, Chelsea needed a penalty to take the lead. Um, Newcastle equalised, albeit after Olivier Giroud had been elbowed in the face, and then it took an own goal for, for Chelsea to win. And I, I think if you if you look at Newcastle's results 
in the league so far. They lost the first home game at home to Spurs, hit the woodwork twice, you know, came close to getting a point there, squandered a stoppage time penalty at Cardiff, um, and then again, you know, didn't have a huge deal of luck against against Chelsea. So, I mean, you know, we know that there's not a huge amount of quality in that Newcastle squad, um, and you know, going out of the League Cup against a Championship team isn't going to help. But I, I don't think they've been Maybe that it will far help, away. Actually. But that, oh, yeah. yeah it Meantime, that game against Chelsea at the weekend and the possession stats that we quoted brought about a real moment of controversy in Monday's pod. To wit, possession stats aren't quite what everyone thinks they are. It's not right. percentage of time on the ball. It's literally just total proportion of passes if that makes sense oh really so possession stats is not time so if there's a thousand passes in the game and Chelsea make 800 which is pretty much what happened they get 80% possession possession. not the amount of time they're on the ball not the amount of time they're on the ball this is this is news you'll have well you have to get Duncan in to uh, justify Opta's uh, methodology well Michael that's precisely what we'll do now Duncan is that true it is true yeah. But why do you call them possession stats? Surely that's passing stats. Because possession is about who has the ball, and yes. this was deemed at the time... I mean, th- these are figures that go back to the early 2000s. Right. So you've got to think at the time, the only real options were this way, or the uh, you know man with the, with the stopwatch. Which is what I think everyone who I've spoken to since assumed was going on. But I on. have observed men with stopwatches and women with stopwatches doing yeah. this very thing yeah. in games, and almost without fail, someone forgets to restart it or switch at some point so those possession stats are invariably wrong and then they try and you know catch up a bit by saying well maybe you know I gave this team a bit too much time here let's add a bit onto this team Um, and we actually ran some tests what percentage of stats that come out of Opta are actually made up or fudged to to some extent zero percent zero percent we we actually did some tests and and did a stopwatch versus uh, you know this passing method and, and they basically came out about the same so yeah, and also the other thing to to point out is that although possession is one of those stats that's just everywhere, you know, it's on all match reports and stuff. It's not, you know, clubs have moved beyond this now. It's all about things like passing sequences mm. and and possessions in terms of you know how long you hold onto the ball before it's turned over and you know transitions things like that. So um, it's kind of a bit of an archaic figure anyway. But I mean, I think in terms of telling people who had most of the ball in the game, yeah, it you know it does what it says on the tin. Well, no, it doesn't actually. Well, it, it gives does. an indication of what another stat might might be, and that, that's fair enough. It's if it's a, a more true, more 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 accurate representation. I do take your point though about the you know the limited value of it as, a, as an analytical tool. When you were talking about the number of passes in this game, you referenced an extraordinary. Was it Watford Portsmouth game where there were only seventy five passes by the home side, and you said I. Th- they almost got away with it. We need to move beyond goals as a way, a way of deciding football matches, which I think Jose Mourinho is, is very much on your side. Yeah, on. he was on the phone after that <laughs> saying, you're a, you're a visionary. Um, I think, you know, it, people will always say stuff like, oh, I only care about goals, or that's the only stat that matters. And But a football match is, you know, the product of thousands of tiny decisions over 90 minutes. And anything you can have to kind of add a bit more insight as to what's happened and why it's happened is good. Mm, okay. Jorginho had more possession than Newcastle did last week. No, because he had the most. He had more successful passes than Newcastle, but not more passes than Newcastle. Okay, now you confuse me again. So it's the number of passes, not successful passes. Yeah, it's not just successful passes. It's every pass uh, yeah. in a game. So, but an unsuccessful pass means you lose possession. Exactly. At the end of it. Yeah. So right. then the opposition picks the <laughs> picks the ball up. Okay, we were doing so well until that <laughs> happened. Two Pep Nolan says, I think basing possession on a number of passes is fair. What's the alternative? Do with a stopwatch, clicking at every clearance. Um, all right, well, um, good of Rafa. 
not to be defined by possession. That's quite enlightened, isn't it? It's not everything, James. That's so true. Right, let's have some words of wisdom then about, ooh, Crystal Palace, Southampton, in the Alan Pardew Memorial Derby. <laughs> both teams seeking to recover from a 2-1 defeat against uh, Watford, in the case of Palace, and Leicester for Southampton. You excited about this game, Duncan? I'm probably more excited than the two managers because they've been both pretty grumpy so far mm. this season. Um, Roy Hodgson not ha- happy with Harry the Hornet, as which, which was well publicised, and uh, Mark Hughes perennially disappointed with refereeing standards. What happened with Harry the Hornet? Hodgson was upset that Harry the Hornet last season dived, sort of implied oh, yeah. that Zahar was a yeah. diver. Um, and but he, did he do something this time? I don't think I think he got through the game. Harry the Hornet was well behaved this this time, but obviously Hodgson got very wet, and there was a few photos of him sort of it soaked did, to the he? skin, looking looking bedraggled. Bedraggled. Mm. Mm. Uh, both teams got uh, away wins in the EFL Cup. Palace at Swansea, Saints at Brighton. Brighton, who will be hosting Fulham contemporaneously with that uh, Crystal Palace Southampton match, Saturday three o'clock. Curiously, Brighton have won just twice in their last twelve league matches, and both those victories have been. Against Man United. Home wins against Man United. Yeah. Ooh, Fulham are looking exciting though, aren't they, Tom? Yes. Um, you know, lost their opening two games, but I thought looked decent in, in, in both of them. Um, and then finally got a sort of what felt like a bit of a breakthrough win yeah. uh, over Burnley. Um, Alexander Mitrovic has got three goals already. Um, He's got 15 since his 15, debut. Yeah. Since, since, same as Salah. since February. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I have think we, we've all read the Opta briefing, have we? Have we? <laughs> it would appear so. <laughs> uh, I mean, Fulham, we know, brought in a whole host of new players during the transfer window. Five new players on deadline day alone. Um, so, so this Jukanovic is clearly trying to figure out what his his best eleven is. Um, but I think what we saw from that game against Burnley is that is that Fulham have got a lot of firepower. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how Brighton contend with that. Um, Brighton obviously got that fantastic win against United, and, and then played quite well despite losing at Liverpool last time out. So yeah, still sort of trying to figure out where they are. Okay, you're a big fan of Seri, are you? Yes, yeah, Jean-Michel. I am big fan of Jean Michel Seri. Yeah, uh, and he scored an absolute belter Didn't against either. Burnley. Yeah. Hey Seri, oh like as in hey Seri, yeah. show me a great goal. <laughs> there you go. That's literally <laughs> that's my phone has literally responded to that. Go away, Seri. Lovely goal, right. and uh, and Joe Hart, he, he does a good forlorn grasp at thin air. Joe Hart, he's not one of these keepers who'll just stand there and watch it go in. He usually has a go, right? Um, and I always think it, it adds to the quality of a strike when the keeper at least makes an effort. Yeah. And, and Hart can usually be counted on to at least fling his fling his body in the general direction of the ball, mm. and, and good on him. Hey, poignant poignant news for Fulham fans this week with uh, Clint Dempsey, uh, U.S. Men's National Team and Fulham legend, Deuce. Deuce, Deuce announcing his retirement from professional football. He was, I think, I don't know, can I speak for all of us by saying he was always a favourite because the goals he scored, he scored mm. in three World Cup tournaments, scored that extraordinary goal against Juve. Possibly mm. Fulham's greatest game ever at Craven Cottage against, yeah. against Juve. And because on much missed television station Satanta, he once did an interview with young Alex Gordon Martin in which this happened. Any chance you could give us a little rendition? Freestyle, uh, I guess, I'd give a little something, but... I could give you a beat if it helps me. Yeah, give me a beat. Let's see, let's see the beat you got. Okay. Hey. 
freestyle off the dome. I ain't my color coke, and so I ain't home alone. I'ma ride on the chrome, got the leather to tone. It's that boy named Clint. I'm American grown. Yeah, American flown. Alex Gordon Martin there. And, uh, you know, will Fulham be providing the, the beat for Brighton? I guess. Yeah. Anyway, uh, where, ooh, West Ham are taking on Wolves. It's the W derby. Will West Ham get a W? Actually, you know what? There are people who suggest that West Ham are, you know, a force waiting to happen, that Pellegrini's slowly working his magic and that Wolves maybe are going to come unstuck here. Tom, you also have a name beginning with W. You're uniquely <laughs> well-placed to talk about this. <laughs> well, well, we'll see about that. Um, yeah, I mean, West Ham's similar boat to Fulham in that lots of new players and, and Pellegrini's still trying to fit them all into his team. I think the consensus was that they, they played quite well against Arsenal and, and caused them a few problems. Um, I think Felipe Anderson looks like... A good signing so far. I mean, obviously, we know that he was linked to a lot of big clubs a couple of seasons ago. and, and A lot of people thought he wasn't a good signing. I must admit, I have my doubts about him. But He was quite a West Hammy sort of signing, wasn't it? Wasn't he? But I mean, like, he's. I, I've been impressed by him from what I've seen, and yeah. um, I think he could. I think he can do some damage. Um, Certainly linked up well with Arnautovic at, at the Emirates, where West Ham maybe, you know, were unlucky not to get something more. Hmm. Um, and, and Wolves, I mean, you know, Wolves, I, I think we saw against City the, the quality they have. Um, you know that they look going into that game off the back of a, a defeat at, at Leicester. Um, obviously, there's a lot of expectation around Wolves this season and, and what they're going to do. Um, I, I think I think that City game showed um, what you know what we could expect to see once those players once those players start clicking. So yeah, not not an ideal game for West Ham, but I think they'll they'll go into it with a bit of confidence after what they did at Arsenal. Right, and what they do did midweek when they beat uh, AFC Wimbledon three one in the EFL Cup with a screamer. From Diop, that's two goals he scored in two games now. Mm. One at each end. That's very, very true. But weren't Wimbledon in the lead for like an hour in that game, despite having ten men? And that, the, the two, two of West Ham's goals came in the last ten minutes. Really? So mm. I wouldn't say that was impressive. I think it's, it still shows there's some work to do at West Ham. I see. Well, well done, Wimbledon. Well done, AFC Wimbledon. But who they lost? Yeah, I know. But it was a valiant, valiant strategically. They yeah, we need to move past goals. Three, Cardiff, way ahead of you on that one, uh, Duncan. Um, uh, they are hosting Arsenal uh, mm. this weekend. Is this an actual Arsenal clean sheet in prospect? Possibly. I mean, Cardiff have drawn two of their games nil. No, they could technically stay up having not scored. Um, <laughs> got two points, you know, draw the remaining games nil nil. Uh, you know, that would wow. be Warnock's finest ever achievement, I think. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, obviously, a lot of people knew last season Cardiff had a terrible pass completion in the Championship. It's actually gone up in each How game. How do you determine that? Is it on the amount of time you have on the ball or what? <laughs> it's actually based on passes. So, yeah. Um, but it's actually gone up in each Premier League game so far. So I'm, if you you know extrapolate, they're going to be Barcelona by the uh, <laughs> by the end of November. Um, Neil Warnock he managed to beat Arsenal in the Premier League with Sheffield United in a game, if people remember, where Phil Jagielka had to go in goal and actually made a really good save from Robin van Persie late on. Um, oh. I always love outfielders going in goal, um, and hopefully we'll see some of that in this. Okay, Cardiff in their defence actually did score a goal midweek in there. 3-1 defeat in the EFL Cup to Norwich. Uh, Huddersfield are another team who are challenged in goal terms. And speaking of EFL Cup, oh my word, they went to Stoke on Tuesday night, a wet and windy Stoke Tuesday night, mm -hmm. and lost 2-0 with two remarkable goals. One was 
what some people are hailing as the most incredible own goal of all time. I don't know if you'd go along with that. Have you seen it, Jim? No, I haven't. 45-yard own goal, it's, You know, do you remember Marco Materazzi's for Inter against Empoli? Oh, yeah. Yeah, from the halfway line. Is it like that? It's, <laughs> it's, it's slightly worse, I would say. Materazzi basically was running back towards goal, crossed the halfway line and thought, I'll just chip this back to the keeper. Keeper who, in the meantime, had decided to run out to collect. And, you know, the inevitable <laughs> happened. Whereas uh, Juninho, who was making his debut... So that's one to remember from FC Grunigan. Uh, he, he basically is trying to. He slices it, doesn't he? He's on the turn. It's 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 late in the game. Huddersfield are a goal behind and chasing the game, and uh, the ball is cleared towards their own half. And Bakuna goes to wallop it clear on the volley, uh, about ten yards inside his own half. Completely slices it, uh, and he, the goalkeeper is pushed up as well to try and gather the loose ball, and mm-hmm. he just trundles. Forlornly into that, and then he reacts Bakuna by dropping to the ground with this this very ostentatious display of cramp or injury of some kind. Right, um, and opponents come up with a concerned looks on their faces. No, concerned slash. I mean, it's hard to tell from it is hard you know, to tell from TV, but yeah, yeah. Two no, and of course the other goal came from Saido Berahino. Wow, nine hundred and thirteen days after his uh, previous goal. Um, Three hundred twenty nine million people had been born in between those two goals. <laughs> Give or take a few. Wow. So it was heading on to half a billion people. It's quite a lot. It That's is. Like the entire United States, isn't it? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. I've seen loads of... Because this is this obviously was huge news, Berrino scoring a goal. And it, it, was, it was not the greatest goal. I mean, it kind of bounced off his head more than anything. Um, it was somebody else's shot. I can't remember whose, and it just kind of He's like... He's a fox hit. in the box. That's why he, he thrives on those. Right, OK. Well, he... Um, yeah, I've seen loads of different metrics for you know measuring the amount of time it's taken him to score a goal. And the number of goals that Harry Kane has scored in the meantime is 103. That's one of them. Yeah, 58% yeah. of the length of the First World War. I'm sorry, more than half the First World War? Yeah. That's, that's impressive. And, yeah. Fewer shots. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that is Stoke. But Huddersfield, who were beaten 2-0 in that clash, now must visit Everton on Saturday afternoon. Uh, with uh, an Everton side without Jagielka, Michael Keane with his hairline fracture of the skull, and of course Richarlison, who was trying to give people hairline fractures of the skull with his vigorous rutting action last weekend against Bournemouth. Yeah, I think Everton have got a bit of a defensive crisis. Have they? This game. Well, in terms of injuries, you know, and and, and the like. Um, yeah, I think Yerry Mina is also a, a doubt for this oh, game as well. Yeah, so so you know for this. Uh, Huddersfield side which is meek in attack to say the very least mm. um, might have some joy although I was quite perturbed as Yorkshireman to read uh, in Duncan's stats back that it, the last time a Yorkshire team went to Goodison and won was in 1999 really that's uh, that's outrageous certainly uh, God's country certainly Huddersfield uh, managed to lose both games against Everton last season 2-0 Huddersfield last one at Goodison September 1937 Ooh, that's a long time ago Duncan, have you got a Huddersfield stat you want to throw? Well, obviously, they stayed up last season with 28 goals, which oh, yeah. equaled the Premier League record with George Graham's Leeds, another Yorkshire team. It must yeah. be a, a Yorkshire thing. They've only had 16 shots this season, which is the same number as Salah and Aguero. And, yeah, I mean, it's going to be, as James said, it's meek against Leek, because I don't think Everton's defence has looked particularly good so far. Um, I think Everton fans are happy because their team are attacking and they're yes. scoring goals, but that's probably overshadowed... The you know the relative kind of leakiness at the back. The Richarlison absence, Theo Walcott, for example, 
Yeah, I think it will have an impact because he's been good. But um, yeah, I think Wilcott can step up. Dominic Calvert-Lewin scored a brace in midweek. Did he? Yeah. Who did they beat? EFL Cup. They beat Rotherham. Okay. Anything else we should have? Another Yorkshire side. Another Yorkshire side. Yeah, the Yorkshire bashing just doesn't stop. This makes up for people in the Olympics going on about Yorkshire. Yeah, that's good point. (laughs) Good point. (laughs) Well, tell you what, let's ramp up the drama even further by hearing what cheeky questions producer Ben is going to ask our friends at Paddy Power this week. Thank you, Jimbo. I've got Lee Price on the line from Paddy Power, as always. Lee, let's get right stuck into things. Jose Mourinho, Man United, it's been an absolutely shocking week for them. Uh, not that uh, Moo is showing any ill signs of that. They take on Burnley at the weekend. Can Sean Dyche make it three defeats in a row for Man U? Despite the nightmare week of all weeks, we actually think Mourinho will be safe this weekend. It's 8-13 for Manchester United victory, 9-2 for Burnley to win at home, despite Turf Moor being a bit of a fortress. And the Carl Anker special, Mourinho to turn up with a buzz cut, is 8-1. to one, And I would love to see that. And what about Mu himself? What are the odds on him lasting till Christmas, let alone the end of the season? Despite the good news about the result this weekend, uh, our traders aren't as confident about Mourinho's long-term future. It's odds on that he leaves this season, 2-7. to seven. Odds on that he leaves for Christmas, 4-7. to seven. And he's the 6-4 to four favourites with the next Premier League manager to leave his job. Ouch. Let's move on to better things. Watford, uh, unbeaten in the league. Really good result in the League Cup last night. Uh, they're taking on Spurs. What are the odds on Javi Gracia getting one over on Pochettino here? Watford have started well, but I think I'm the only one who's not getting carried away. Um, I'd still put them in the mix for relegation, actually. They are a massive 14-1 to to go down now and just 7-4 to to finish in the top half. I would definitely uh, flip those odds. As for the Spurs game, they're 9-2 to to beat Spurs at home. Spurs are the favourites here, obviously, 4-7 to to win at Watford. Let's move on to Cardiff. They did get a goal in midweek in the League Cup, but still very much goalless, uh, as we've been saying, since April in league football. They're taking on Arsenal, who have a pretty ropey defence. Can you give me some numbers here on Cardiff scoring a goal, but not necessarily winning? Yeah, Cardiff are prolific now. They've scored one goal, uh, having notched midweek. And actually, our traders think they will score against Arsenal. I'm not sure what that says about Unai Emery, but it's odds on 4-7 Cardiff score this weekend, 6-5 that they don't. And finally, Lee, we heard from Andrew Slavin earlier on in the show uh, about the Old Firm derby. Give us the odds for this one. Yeah, I'm massively excited for this one. It feels like the first Old Firm derby for quite a long time that you can't predict the result of, i.e. a Celtic win. Although that said, our traders do still make it odds on that Celtic win this weekend. They're 8-13, to the draw's 3-1 to and Rangers are 7-2. to But with Stephen Gerrard making a massive impact up there, unbeaten so far in his time in Scotland, who knows? You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. We're back on Monday when the Totally Football Show will feature Daniel's story, David Priest and Michael Cox. What are you boys up to in the meantime? Tom? Um, I will be in Manchester with Duncan and others. Oh, you're going to the MCW... The MCF... WF, the Manchester Football Writing Festival. There you go. MFWF. MC. Where's this? And then we're going to the acronym festival afterwards. Yeah. Where you learn how to yeah. acronym Never stuff. miss it. Yeah. So we're on a panel, the Opta panel on Monday evening. The if you're, if you're in the vicinity, speaking, do join us. Speaking of uh, acronyms, what does Opta stand for? Uh, no one knows. It was named after a company in the 90s which well it, yeah it was a management consultancy company that decided to set up a football stats arm 
and sold it to that the, then you know became sentient and went off and did oh, its right. own thing self-aware <laughs> <laughs> wow uh, that's fantastic opta right so it so, literally doesn't it doesn't mean like it, it probably it does mean something but no one can work out what it means so right. you know feel free to suggest okay good uh, and James, what have you got lined up for this weekend? I had thought I was going to go to Palmer for uh-huh. another Ronaldo watch. Right. But uh, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Oh, so no, I might actually not? have a nice weekend where I can just, you know. Although watch, it's always nice to go to Palmer, isn't it? Oh, yeah. 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 Good. All right. Well, listener, whatever you're getting up to this weekend, I hope you have a splendid time. And do make sure to join us again Monday with the Totally Football Show. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. And make sure you check out our other football podcasts, the revamped Totally Football League show with Caroline Barker and the brand new Totally Scottish Football Show. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.